Warning, warning. Two idiots are widening their eyes in surprise. Please flare your aether and await further instructions. Hi, guys. Welcome to Discovering SCP. <laughs> 151. Exactly. <laughs> me and... So, I'm going to give some context. Lamel told me not to do this, but I'm going to give some context just so you guys understand what, what we're doing for this episode. Why so, is he doing it? I just told him not he's to! He's doing off script. Cut the feed. Cut it, cut it. No, because if you let them know, then they're just going to click off. We have to trick them first. This guy wanted to trick you, but I, as a good citizen, will not. No! Don't listen to him. So He's not a good citizen. As the Easter holiday has ensued, we've been out. We've been with our families. We've been doing lots of stuff. So we're a bit tired. Well, he has. I've been tired. I've been, I've been with my family. Darnell's been he's jogging. Alone. Jogging, sure. So we're so tired. So we do not have the energy required for SCP. What has been proposed, though, is because... Recently as well, um, I've launched the April Space website. We're sort of kicking up the April Space <laughs> clout drive. So I thought that's maybe- right. You thought you were listening to April Space. We told you to listen to April Space. You didn't you listen. Now you're forced to be indoctrinated. <laughs> you're gonna your read chance. as much. <laughs> so we're, we're gonna, gonna read as the- much. Go for the first couple yeah. of chapters, basically. <laughs> Yeah, as long as we can get in the hour. I'm ready and raring to go. And this gives me a chance to do the early chapters again with all the voices correctly. Absolutely. Because I know them now. Okay, <clears throat> it's going to be amusing to see how things have changed as well. Because, like... Yeah, I, I read things briefly over the last couple of days because I've been transferring these over to the uh, the WordPress website, which will, of course, be linked in the description for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Link that and credit yourself as the author. Yeah, and this also counts as the trailer, by the way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That pissed me off. Anomalous, edit out his head. All right. Now that I've got the nuisance out of the way... <laughs> I'll begin reading because the longer we uh, procrastinate, the less Aetheral Space gets to grace your ears. 1.1. Dragon Hadrian. This fucking guy. Dragon Hadrian. This is where things start going downhill for the story when I introduced this (laughs) character. Dragon Hadrian hugged himself tight as the shuttle came into dock. You could always tell when a shuttle system synchronized with another ship. The sudden shift in temperature couldn't be missed. From lukewarm to freezing, the charming bleakness of a supremacy cruiser. The arms of a freezing person didn't do much to provide comfort. He looked around the shuttle, taking in the sight of the other occupants, memorizing their features with a glance in the way only cogitants could. Nervous-looking expressions, every one, save for the grim face of a burly pugnant lurking in the corner. Dragon raised an eyebrow. If he had the personal heating of a pugnant in this kind of freezer, he certainly wouldn't be frowning. Motion sickness, maybe? The sound of docking clamps rang out through the steel walls of the shuttle. Dragon smiled. Finally. Passing the time in his archive had lost its appeal after the first few hours. The shuttle ramp descended, coming down the floor of the hangar. I'm looking forward to seeing what has changed without me realizing, because the archive is a much bigger thing in the start (laughs) than it has sort of ended up being. (laughs) The shuttle ramp descended, coming down onto the floor of the hangar with an echoing thump. The hangar itself was well lit, squads of supremacy soldiers marching to and fro on their various assignments. Taking in their coordinated movements, Dragon could tell this was a fairly well-disciplined ship. Where there were deviations from the norm, it was obviously a result of unintentional negligence rather than willful rebellion. As he stood up from his bench, Dragon heard his joints crack. He'd been sat in the same position for a while, and the cadet suit they'd given him for this assignment wasn't exactly accommodating. If he sat down the wrong way, the bulky outer pockets of the otherwise slim suit dug right into his chest. Weren't pockets supposed to be convenient? 
Brushing a lock of silver hair out the way of his vision, Dragon observed the others as they got up. The practiced way six of the ten, the pugnant among them, got to their feet told him that this wasn't their first assignment, or at the very least, they were used to space travel. The other four were more unsteady on their feet, one even stumbling. Dragon looked away from them. They obviously wouldn't be useful to him. Dragon made sure to be at the front of one of the two lines of transferees. As the only cogitant in the mostly crownless group, he was sure to stand out either way, but he wanted to present an image of responsibility right from the start. The bright blue eyes were a dead giveaway, of course, but he needed to show the competence expected with them. This is another interesting change, because mm. technically we know the crownless are the majority, yes. but it seems like most characters we meet are one of the subspecies or scurrents. Like, it's been a while since there's other than Skipper of mentions of, like, lots of crownless. So it's interesting that yeah. we get that perspective. <laughs> when there's a guy who's not described as a third bet of the crownless. <laughs> yeah. The group assembled in front of the watching commander, a grim-looking man whose stark white coat was buttoned tight. Dragon did his best to conceal his envy at the man's expensive-looking attire. Dragon envious? The supremacy encouragement of individuality only really came into effect past a certain military rank. At least this man's coat sort of fit with the military image. Dragon had seen commanders in the past who'd seemed more suited to traveling circus than any kind of official position. blows onto the screen. <laughs> <laughs> the commander class we're making references to further in the work as i'm trying to introduce you to the work <laughs> this is no you're good i'm just saying this is what you've come to expect from dscp the commander clasped his hands behind his back each of you he said his voice a low rumble have been assigned to an existing project on this ship i will read these assignments out now you will proceed directly to your assignments no detours no deviations the captain does not tolerate honor and disobedience aboard his ship. Am I understood? A chorus of affirmation rang out through the hangar. As he saluted, Dragon couldn't help but notice the second man who approached from behind the commander. If the commander was taking liberties with his outfit, the second man was just going overboard. The man had clearly taken the barest effort to armor himself, instead opting for a loose kind of robe with bracers on his arms. Speed prioritized over defense, obviously. A pistol sat in its holster, strapped to the man's left hip. The gun was polished, but it was perfunctory, a matter of obligation. The sword hanging from his right hip had clearly been maintained with something approaching love. Slicked black hair ended with a long ponytail. Dragon did his best not to look too surprised. Oh my god, Melee weapons were... lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Melee weapons weren't exactly uncommon among the supremacy military. There was no shortage of systems that could disable firearms in the galaxy, but where they were used, they were typically things like batons, mass-produced trash like punch-point firearms. Swords weren't very common, though, outside of people like Special Officer Kojiro and a few contenders over the years. This guy clearly thought highly of himself. His stance, though, the way he held himself, despite the eccentricity of his wardrobe, there was a quiet dignity to him. The kind of confidence that came with experience along with the obvious independence that came with rank. He was a special officer himself. Dragon took the information and folded it into the shape of a file, thought converted into text. Conjuring a shelf, he stored it away in his archive. From the perspective of anyone else, though, he just stared off into space for a moment. The commander barked out names, one after the other. Dragon doubted he had to, but he memorized them also, tucking them away into his collection of miscellaneous information. They could be useful for calling in favors or redirecting blame if it came down to it. That's something I wish we saw more of him do throughout the series. It's like those little memorization moments. The pugnant lumbered off to their new assignment down in the bowels of the ship. Interrogation, maybe? No, the Supremacy had no reason to hide their prisoners aboard their own ship, so it was likely something to do with the engines instead. 
Dragon Hadrian, the commander said. He nodded his head towards the second man. You're with him. The commander obviously disliked this man. The distaste on his face was well concealed, but you couldn't hide such things from a cogitant. The slightest brush of tooth against lip, as though he was, were barely refraining from biting his tongue, and the quirk of his eyebrows suggested this was due to a mixture of jealousy and the natural friction that came with a newly arrived colleague of superior rank. Yes, sir, Dragon smiled, saluting, before moving to approach the black-haired man. Even before he reached him, the man turned away and started walking, clearly expecting Dragon to follow after him. That kind of arrogance confirmed it then. This man was clearly a special officer, an asshole, or both. A toy Muzazi, the man said by way of introduction as Dragon reached him. Dragon Hadrian, correct? That's right, sir, Dragon said, matching Muzazi's pace. He did his best to seem obedient. The appearance of obedience was much better than the real thing, as it actually allowed you to be competent at the same time. Am I to understand you're the one who requested me? Muzazi nodded. Cogitants are hardly an abundant resource. As of now, you're the only one of your kind aboard the Prasuticus and we have need of your unique talents. While Dragon felt it was nice to be praised, what Muzazi had said wasn't exactly true. Even if they didn't have the highest population, cogitants were one of the great subspecies of humanity. There was hardly a shortage of people with the same unique talents as him. No, no, he was just a convenient resource, which was fine with him, as it inevitably meant being provided with opportunities for advancement. Well, said Dragon, spreading his smile as endearingly as he could, I'm always happy to help. Liar. As he grunted, <laughs> continuing to walk along. The pair began moving out of the hangar and down a hallway that, according to a holographic sign, led to the brig. A wall-sized window on the left side of the hallway gave an open view of the expanse of space and of the sickly green planet they were currently orbiting, Kalis Brack. The glass looked flimsy, but Dragon could tell without looking that blast doors were ready to slam shut at the first sign of damage. They passed a few patrols of guards, but other than that, the walk was silent, and the hallway seemed to stretch on and on. The stark white aesthetic of supremacy ships grew irritating to the eyes pretty quickly. Dragon wondered if there were cases of people going blind from it. Finally, Dragon cleared his throat. <clears> throat> It might be helpful if I knew specifically what I was doing, he said, hands clasped behind his back, just so I could mentally prepare. Muzazi glanced back at Dragon, then tapped a button on his script. A holographic screen popped out of the wafer-thin device, and with a wave of Muzazi's hand, it was set to float in front of Dragon's face as they walked. The cogitant gave it a quick scan. The assignment was to assist in prisoner interrogation. Specifically, the interrogation of a pugnant criminal named Ruth Blaine, arrested for the confirmed murder of a supremacy admiral. There was an image of her on the side of the screen, a muscular, red-haired young woman, a wide grin showing off the sharp canines common among the pugnant subspecies. Dragon raised an eyebrow. Pardon my lack of understanding, sir, but from reading this, it seems Blaine's crime has already been confirmed. I'm not sure why exactly my presence is required. Again, all he got was a glance. Intentional rudeness? No. Muzazi seemed more like the sort of person who didn't quite understand social cues. Oh my god, he's just like me for real. <laughs> you hated Muzazi at first from what I remember. You didn't care for him. I, I know, but that's because he gave off a certain impression. Like five chapters in, you suddenly fell in love. <laughs> we believe this girl works with a crew of criminals, all of whom were involved with the incident. I need you to help us get their location out of her, as well as determine what other crimes she may have committed. A smile played across Dragon's lips. Now that he could work with. 
Through the cramped observation booth, Dragon could watch the pugnant girl without being seen himself. She was sat down in an inmate uniform, shackled to the interrogation table, a supremacy officer across from her. Hang on, I need water. Should I take over? Mm. She didn't look concerned in the least. Cocking her head, she spoke. <laughs> you guys got burgers around here? Cheeseburgers? Hamburgers? I could really go for one. Oh, unless they've got pickles. I don't like pickles. Oh, unless they're red pickles. I do like those. You got any? The officer blinked slowly, placidly. Do you realize the kind of sentence you'll be receiving, miss? As the girl rambled on, Dragon watched her facial expression carefully. The appearance of irreverence was there, of course, but it was at least partly a mask. He peeked underneath it. Caution, worry, and determination in a fairly even ratio. Caution and worry were unsurprising, but where was the determination being aimed? She was looking at the interrogator as he droned on, but her gaze was blank. Her focus wasn't on him. He didn't even qualify as an obstacle. Whatever her mind was on wasn't something she could see then. Dragon smirked. She was determined to protect her comrades then, determined not to sell them out. Admirable, but unrealistic. The supremacy never missed a trick. The best course of action was to keep your head down and do as you were told. Dragon put a hand to his chin as he considered his next move. If he continued watching this girl, he was certain he could reason out the information the supremacy wanted. But what good would that do him? That was just doing his job, the bare minimum. There was no opportunity for advancement or reward there. As pieces of a plan began to click together in his head like a puzzle, Dragon smiled. He could make this work, and it might just be enjoyable, too. Lying was his second favorite activity, after all. Just under sleeping. That cannot possibly be true. He, he never lies, ever. Tanhoni, there are a lot of things claimed about Dragon in Chapter 1. He does lie. He lies, lies a lot. <laughs> only when he needs to, though. He doesn't lie he enough. He loves it. He loves it. It's his second favorite thing beyond He's like, it's so yet, good for lying. He's <laughs> like, sorry, I told a lie, hot. <laughs> My throat is still scratchy from the, like, current chapter we just did. My throat is like, ugh. The Klaus voice. <clears throat> Who's Klaus? These readers are confused. The quarters they'd given him for his stay aboard the Presitagus were more than a little cramped, but that was fine. As much as he might wish otherwise, Dragon didn't take up much space. So long as he had a bed and a desk, he could operate just fine. Dragon sat down. The chair wasn't much to speak of. Cold metal and a rigid, unkind shape. If he had just his thoughts, somewhere comfortable to sleep, and an extranet connection, he could live very happily. The idea of being able to observe the world as much as you liked while it couldn't do a damn thing to you was very appealing. I assume extranet's like the internet between planets. Yeah. But I imagine because of the distance, it can't exactly do like real-time connection. Not It'd be more like forums and stuff, yeah. yeah. For, for long range, yeah. Dragon's ambition was very simple. To achieve a position where he didn't need to have ambition. Not low-ranking enough to have duties to perform, but not high-ranking enough to have people pay attention to him. A holy land of delegation and comfort. That's called middle management, buddy. And he loves that. <laughs> this sounded simple enough, but the fact that he was part of the Supremacy's military, even in a non-combat position, made it anything but. The Supremacy was a society formed around, not survival of the fittest exactly, but certainly might makes right. Those with power had the right to tell others what to do, and those without power had only the right to obey those orders. Strength, intelligence, talent, 
As long as you had enough of at least one of them and had proven your loyalty, the supremacy would pretty much let you do whatever you wanted. To a society of idiots, the ability to punch a little harder, a little faster, was an all-important metric. That had never been Dragon's talent. But there were shortcuts for such things. Dragon glanced at the door. I love how he, he refers to this as a shortcut when it's just a thing that like every character has. <laughs> he thinks he's so smart. Dragon glanced at the door, listened intently, and, once he was satisfied nobody would be entering any time soon, retrieved his testing block from a pocket. It was a lump of loose metal Dragon had picked up a few assignments back, durable material used to make these back-destroying chairs. There were a few scratches in its surface, each deeper than the last, charting the progress of Dragon's self-training over the last few months. Not deep enough, though. Not nearly deep enough to make the kind of impression he wanted. Taking a deep breath, Dragon reached for his aether. It was difficult to describe how exactly he accessed that energy, but if he had to do so, he'd say that it was like turning on a non-existent organ inside his body. It had taken him weeks of work for him to reach the point where he could access it so quickly. In the beginning, he'd had to sit cross-legged for hours before he could get so much as the vaguest expression of it. See, this is interesting, too, because this is different than how cores work as we know it. So that implies that maybe through the act of sitting cross-legged for hours, that, like, revealed enough determination? Yeah. He's, oh, he, that, well, well, it takes determination to do that, so he's, he doesn't know it, but he was tapping into his aethercore Right. Very interesting. Uh, although, isn't that the same training method uh, Muzazi put a climb on? Yeah, but that's like meditation. Like, think about yeah. yourself. Like, explore these emotions. Mm-hmm. Whereas he was just like, <laughs> it's like it works. I'm shitting aether. I'm so talented. The moment Dragon accessed the aether, the tingling sensation spread throughout his body, from the core of his bones all the way to the tips of his hairs. It was like receiving an extreme electric shock that couldn't harm you, and as if to fit the metaphor. Arcs of what looked like blue electricity blinked in and out of existence around his body. The possibilities of what he could do with this energy poured through Dragon's mind. He could concentrate it inside his body to strengthen it. He could fire it out as a projectile. He could even (laughs) force it into the shape of an object or weapon. And those were just the possibilities that sprung to mind first. If he was smart about this, his Aether could be a very useful tool. Aether was no secret, of course. The majority of the upper ranks in the Supremacy made heavy use of it, but learning it often required an expensive tutor or a sympathetic superior. He didn't have the money or patience for either of those. Self-teaching like Dragon was attempting was extremely rare, and doubtless much less effective than having an actual teacher, but his cogitant heritage was picking up some of the slack there, working out the next steps from what he'd already accomplished. Back in the days of the Gene Tyrants, before the Thousand Revolutions, the cogitant subspecies had been engineered to serve as strategists, administrators, aides, people to do the thinking so the rulers didn't have to. The kind of reasoning Dragon was doing was something he'd been all but designed for. When you create something smarter than you by design, it obviously doesn't turn out well. That empire had fallen nearly a thousand years ago, and gene manipulation had become the most taboo of taboos, but the descendants of the subspecies lived on. Dragon found himself grateful for that very often. It wasn't very satisfying to get ahead with the benefits of heritage, but so long as he did get ahead, Dragon didn't much care. Using the method he'd managed to reason out, Dragon focused his aether into his fingernail. The arcs of blue collected there, the nail itself shining, and as they did, Dragon felt an intense warmth behind his eyes. They were glowing slightly, the blue light illuminating his testing block. Apparently, glowing eyes was a fairly common aether tick. He supposed it could be worse. 
During his research, he dug up reports of people who ended up with things like rapid hair or teeth growth. Glowing eyes were better than that any day. More convenient, too, if you were lost in the dark. Dragon gritted his teeth, exerting himself as much as he could to keep his aether focused, and dragged his enhanced fingernail across the surface of the testing block. The nail slid through like a knife through butter, leaving a satisfyingly smooth trail. The moment he reached the other side of the block, Dragon let his aether dissipate with a shower of blue sparks, wiping the sweat from his brow. From what he'd observed so far, the most important things to work on were the strength of the aether and how long you could hold it. Those could be done via simple practice. See, that's another thing. It's like that idea of holding it, because it's all about holding the emotion, yeah? Yeah. The rest, though, was for the moment beyond him. From what he understood, Aether users had as many unique applications of it as there were stars in the sky, but he himself wasn't confident in his ability to meddle too much with it without blowing himself up. Satisfied with his current progress, Dragon stuffed the testing block back into his pocket. Ideally, he wanted to reach a level where he could keep his Aether up while moving around and fighting. Then he could begin his advancement in earnest. He leaned back in his chair, looking out the cabin's porthole into the void of space beyond. This side of the ship was facing away from Kalis Breck, thank goodness. It looked, like, it looked a shithole, so he had access to the full calming view. So, on to the matter of Ruth Blaine. Closing his eyes, Dragon accessed his archive. He liked to imagine it as a chalk-white castle standing in the sea, the sound of crashing waves giving him something constant to cling on to if he was at risk of getting distracted. Flicking through imaginary files, Dragon brought up all the information he'd memorized about the prisoner. An archive really was so very useful. A great many cogitants had them, or at least had some method of organizing their thoughts. If they didn't learn that early, all sorts of nastiness ensued once their brains grew bored. Blaine was definitely guilty of what she'd been accused of, but couldn't she be guilty of more? Exposing a few other crimes of hers would look very good on Jagan's record. There were more than a few unsolved assassinations he could pin on her. A pang of guilt hit out at him, but he suppressed it. The girl was getting the death penalty anyway, so he was hardly making things worse for her. If she was screwed anyway, wouldn't it be better for a little more good to come out with, at least? He compiled a list of offenses she could feasibly have been involved with, and made a mental note to come up with links to them in short order. That was all well and good, but he'd been assigned here to determine the location of her allies. With a flick of his finger, I'm so sorry for my phone, I'm tossing no it on my bed. With a flick of his finger, Dragon filed away the information he'd been dealing with and concentrated. Something didn't quite fit with the data he'd been given, like a jigsaw puzzle with one piece slightly too the big. The one piece. The one piece is real! Blaine had been caught by herself, with her allies nowhere to be seen. But the records indicated that she was never far from her comrades. Had they parted ways? No. Her expression had indicated a determination to keep them safe. The kind of determination that only comes about when there's a possibility of failure. She knew exactly where they were. But there had been that other determination, hadn't there? When she'd sat in the interrogation room, there'd been a sense of purpose to her. She had come there for a reason. Jagan's mind began working in overdrive, synapses like coiled superhighways of thought. Had she let herself be caught? Why? For something she could only get on the ship. What could she only get on the ship? This was a mass-produced supremacy freighter. There wasn't anything unique here. No valuable resources, no. A chill ran down Dragon's spine. Perhaps she was after something that would be sent here to help with her interrogation? Something that the ship didn't otherwise have? 
a cogitant administrator, for instance, one who'd be kept close to where he was needed. Dragon suddenly became aware of how very cold his sweat was. Surely he was... No, no, he was overthinking. That was known to happen with cogitants, too. Runaway trains of thought. Ridiculous. Behind him, the alarm started blaring. Oh, shit. Um, so, first chapter, I think, is a fun start to the series. Yeah. It introduces a lot about Jurgon that I wish we got more of as the series went on, but I also like that it sets up a lot about Aether and sort of his thought process coming into the story. Um, I uh, had fun rereading this. I would give this chapter a 9 out of 10. Wow. Uh, how'd you rate it? What do you think? <laughs> I wrote it, so I can't really rate it, but... Um, like some of the stuff for an author to be able to reflect on their work honestly, you do it all the time with SCP. Um, was well, like something I noticed, like cod, the way cod, the constant mindset has changed slightly. Because like back then, he's like, hmm, I can sense that you've got a one to three ratio of your emotions. Hmm, yes, let's peel back the mask a little bit. Well, well, one one thing that the last little bit of the chapter got me right is that reminded me of like the shit Winston does. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see how if he had stayed in the supremacy, he could have just become another Winston, basically. Mm. Um, which I thought was kind of a cool parallel. I don't know if he did that intentionally or not, but I liked it. Anyway, my throat hurts, so you're doing 1.2. Until Skipper comes up, and then I'll be Skipper's voice. Okay. <laughs> Dragon leapt to his 1.2, Sparks of Rage. Oh, there we go. Dragon leapt to his feet, all the theories and hypotheses in his head being replaced with panic in an instant. Had it been right? Was Blaine after him? The steel chair toppled to the floor with a dull thunk. No, no, he mustn't panic. Dragon clutched his chest with his hand, his breathing heavy. Even if Blaine were after him, there was no way she could get him. She was trapped down with the best prison equipment the supremacy can buy. Liar, this ship is cheap and fragile, you know that. Why, oh why, must his inner monologue be so traitorous? <laughs> he should repeat this. This, this, this. this remains true for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon looked around his cabin. What was his best course of action? Hide here? Prepare to fight? You're a seasoned criminal. You're a glorified clerk. Fighting isn't an option, idiot. Hiding, then? There was room under the bed for him to squeeze. In the chaos of an escape, she was only going to be able to check every nook and cranny. Likely she wouldn't even check this cabin. Are you sure about that? Yes, of course he was sure. Don't be. If she's escaping with such ease, it's likely she has help on his inside. If that's the case, it's more than possible she already knows which cabin you've been assigned to. You should get as far away as possible as quickly as possible. With the fear slowing his deliberate thinking, Dragon's subconscious reasoning was outpacing his conscious mind by a wide margin. It wasn't great to be looked down on by yourself. Oh. He charged for the door, pulling himself through the corridor the moment the sliding doors opened. The hallway beyond was bathed in red light, the ship on high alert. Whooping sirens echoed and steel shutters had slammed down to cover all the viewports and windows. It was like being packed into a camp. If Blaine was coming for him, assuming she knew his location, he needed to hide in the cabin two doors away from his own. If he'd in his own cabin, he'd be found without question. But if he didn't, there was a possibility Blaine would think she'd gotten the wrong cabin and search one immediately next to it too. If she didn't find him there, she'd assume he'd hidden somewhere far away and not search the next set. She wouldn't have time to anyway, she'd be fighting guards and the security systems of every step she took. Garner almost leapt out of his skin as he heard the slam of something striking a wall in the distance. Less thinking, more doing. Moving as quickly as he could, Dragana made his way to the cabin two doors to the left of his own. All the doors were automatic on the ship from what we deserved, so all one had to do to open them was stand there for a few seconds. Dragon stood there for a few seconds. Nothing happened. You only have access to your own cabin. A basic security system shouldn't come as a surprise. The other doors won't work either, so don't bother. And he needs to make they need to run for it. That wouldn't do you any good. 
The noise you heard a few seconds ago wasn't that far away, so it's a good bet she's almost here. Plus, she can outrun you without a doubt. Then you see her muscles, well trained. Then, plan A, hide under the bed. Both parts of his mind, at least on that point, were in sync. Dragon whirled around, Ranger runs back to his room, but stopped the moment he got a good look down the corridor. Alternate universe where he hid under the bed straight away. <laughs> yeah, and he would have made it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Capricorn's opening. Ruth Blaine stood there, breathing heavy, the sparking head of a security drone. He didn't mean an automatic, sadly. <laughs> Crushed between her fingers. Red aether crackled around her, illuminating the dark spot on the corridor she'd stepped out into. Her eyes locked. Bright blue and bright yellow. Blaine wiped a trickle of blood from her lip and dropped the drone head to the ground with a funk. Dragon Hadrian, she said, voice hoarse, in a tone that suggested she already knew full well it was him. Get ready to fight. You have no way of winning. No, but you can delay her until someone who can shows up. She won't kill you. Was he sure about that? 72%. (laughs) I remember even back then I was like, where are these percentages coming from? (laughs) So anime. Dragon, canonically he pulled that out of his ass. (laughs) That's why he stops doing this later. Yeah, he's like so convinced he's a genius that he's like, I know the percent chance. Dragon sat back, took in a deep breath, and as he did, he reached for his aether. The blue spark surrounded his body like static electricity, diffused as much as possible so it would shield his body. Blaine raised an eyebrow. Oh, she grinned. Nobody told me you knew how to dance, little guy. The red aether coating her body erupted into a flash, and when it cleared, Dragon was no longer looking at a human face anymore. The thing now covering the front of Ruth Blaine's face like a welding mask forced into the same of a skull, the square grill of the jaw like a mockery of teeth. The two black circles covering Ruth Blaine's eyes regarded Dragon intently, watching for what it would do next. There were other new additions to Blaine's wardrobe. Steel bar in the shape bars in the shape of a ribcage covering her chest, and iron claws strapped to the back of her fingers, the points gleaming ominously. She had made the armor of Aether, that much was clear. Sweat ran down the back of Dragon's neck. She was clearly far beyond his abilities. The most he could manage right now was standing still about his aether and instantly diffusing into nothingness. Oh, he's so bad at aether. <laughs> this guy's skill issue. <laughs> Not gonna say anything, taunted Blaine, her voice muffled by the skull mask. It's no fun without the banter, you know. Trying to look crazier than she is. Intimidation technique. Dragon opened his mouth to say something, to show he wouldn't be so easily frightened. And in the moment he did, Ruth Blaine was upon him. She'd leapt down the entire hallway with a single kick, the movement animalistic, her shining red hair like a flowing mane ripped behind her. Her clawed hands were open, lunging. She intended to grab Dragon, not slash him, but be painful all at the same time. Fucking hell, it's too late to fix that. <laughs> Clumsily, but with all the speed his body could muster, Dragon threw himself to the ground. As he collapsed into a heap, his ether dissipated into nothingness around him. Hey, it's not too late to fix. You can go back after we finish recording and edit them. He felt wind rush against his hair. Blade had passed right over his head. The only hope he had in a fight was avoiding her. He'd gone through combat training, same as any member of the Supremacy's military, but Blaine clearly had vastly more experience. He got up to his feet, almost slipping on the smooth floor as he did so, only to be met by Blaine's leg, coming towards him with a vicious kick. No time to dodge. Use your aether to block. Blue sparks began manifesting around his body, but it was too late. The speed at which Blaine moved was simply unfair. Don't you think? The leg <laughs> slammed into his midsection, angled so the metal exoskeleton clutching it didn't hit him, and sent him collapsing back to the ground. He clutched his stomach, groaning, suppressing the urge to vomit. He wouldn't give her that satisfaction. 
The pain was excruciating, but not as much as it should have been. A kick like that should have smashed some ribs. Had he actually managed to protect himself with his aether? He heard Blaine sucking air between her teeth. Oof, uh, I'm real sorry. The way you were standing, I, I thought you'd be stronger, so I might have gone a little overboard. You okay? She sounded surprisingly genuine. That didn't make the situation Aww. any less humiliating. It always makes me sad thinking back to Arc 1 and the moments they had that they didn't end up getting more of like a Denji and power type relationship. That's so sad. Don't let her look down on you. It was an application <laughs> thing that he hadn't tried yet. <laughs> oh, it's coming! His signature technique! <laughs> Gemini Farball! Come on, guys. <laughs> Twitching on the ground, Dragon tensed his body, preparing himself to move when the moment came. Blaine's apology got no reply, and he could hear her approaching to check on him, making sure she hadn't killed her quarry. That was fine. That was good. He had to make sure this was point blank. This is a signature technique. He will be using this for the rest of the series, and it's his most powerful move. So pay attention. He felt her hand grab at a strap on the back of his cadet suit, trying to pull him up. And at the same moment, he rolled over to face her. His teeth were burned in an expression of utmost effort, his eyes bulging, and his left hand facing towards Blaine, palm flat. Crackling aether was concentrated around it. Blaine's eyes widened. Hell yeah. First, oh, first time, I think. <laughs> Ding! The aether came together even more, forming a minuscule sphere glowing with an intense light. It shaped, it shaped flickering and warping with instability. Thrusting his palm as close to her face as he could, Dragon fired. The ball struck her in the face, scattered into disparate sparks, and faded. Ruth Blaine barely even flinched. Dragon gaped at her. She raised an eyebrow, a pitying smirk on her lips. Do know Aether's a shitty projectile all by itself, right? No, he hadn't known that. That hadn't been mentioned anywhere in the files he'd managed to scrounge together. He'd be sure to remember it. Blaine's fist came down and everything went black. <laughs> no! His signature move! <laughs> thing is, game was rigged from the start. Lord Supreme paid me in advance, Blaine! <laughs> I was like, you can have it all. <laughs> Uh, popcorn. Oh, fuck you. Alright. Potatoes, <clears throat> even. When, <laughs> when Dragon came to, he was greeted by the sensation of being thrown into a corner like a sack of potatoes. He fell into a heap, the pain so intense he held no delusions of moving around. A high-pitched ringing drilled through his ear. He coughed. Through his eye that wasn't facing the door, Dragon could see Blaine fighting against a squad of three soldiers who'd managed to corner them in one of the hangars. Evidently, she'd decided it'd be easier to fight without Dragon weighing her down. The soldiers aimed at her, firing bolts of plasma from their rifles, but with that strange skeletal armor of hers, Blaine was far too fast, dodging the projectiles with ease and landing on all fours like some wild animal next to the nearest guard. Grabbing him by the ankle, she swung, picking the man up with one hand and smacking his comrades around with his body. One strike, two, and the man was dropped to the ground. His unconscious friends lay next to him. Blaine started walking back towards Dragon, whistling. Dragon had to try to escape. He had to at least make some token effort. His body rebelling with electrifying pain, he tried to pick himself up. If he just gave up, how could he respect himself? More importantly, how could he have other people respect him? Her feet stopped in front of him. If you try and run, she said, I'm gonna have to kick you again. He instantly gave up, flopping back to the ground like a fish. No, we're His pride was worth another one of those kicks. <laughs> Clearly, he was still somewhat out of it. He only noticed after the fact that Blaine had thrown him over her shoulder like a sack of potatoes. You really liked the sack of potatoes I love in this it. one. His legs swinging freely. There was a beep. Blaine had taken out a script, and then his captor spoke. 
You're taking your time, Skipper. Kinda need a way out now. That special officer's figured out the distraction. Another muffled voice from the script. Male. Older from the sound of it, but with the kind of drawl that came with an attempt to hold on to youth. Give me a second. Ooh, that says not exactly easy, but may I? <laughs> the studio audience is like whooping and hollering. Yeah. Give me a second. This isn't exactly easy for me either. A pause. Blaine tapped her foot, the noise echoing throughout the cleared hangar. Okay, she said. It's been a second. A sigh came from the script with another sound in the background. Turret fire? Don't try to be clever, Ruth. It doesn't suit you. Hey, he would never say that to her. What the fuck? I also thought that. Uh, I, I, I think it's very clear you had a very different impression of these characters in the first few chapters than the rest of the story. He would never say that. He was distracted. It's, it's so mean. You wait much longer, breathing won't suit me either. Don't joke about that. Bruno's got the controls. We're coming in now. Bruno's position as the fucking chauffeur has gone unchanged throughout the entire story. Though. <laughs> as if on cue, the sound of scraping metal rang out throughout the hangar as the blast doors taking up one entire wall opened, sparks flying from the forced action. Beyond it was the black gulf of space. For a moment, Dragon thought he'd be sucked out, but there was a telltale rippling in the air where the blast doors had been. The pressure shield was still active. A small ship came down from above, maneuvering itself into the gap made available. It was a clumsy, patchwork little thing from the looks Don't of get it. Attached it had to started off the supremacy <laughs> shuttle, but over time had had so many bits and pieces from other ships bolted onto it that it was probably one of a kind. Oh, wow. Just really many, seems like good memories will be built on this ship. <laughs> this'll this'll be iconic, right? We'll get art in this, it'll be on the cover. The blazing light on the front of the craft illuminated the hangar, and the second after it spotted Blaine, the ship turned around and reversed itself halfway through the pressure shield. They intended to blast off right after Blaine boarded. She took a step towards the shuttle, Dragon limp over her shoulder. If you let the hostage go, a voice said quietly from behind them, I'll let you live. Blaine whirled around. Even Dragon forced his head up to look at who had spoken. A toy Muzazi stood to the hangar. Uh, laugh track plays, uh, stood in the entrance to the hangar, sword unsheathed and pointed directly at Blaine. His gray eyes were cold, dull. White aether crackled in the air around him, his sword reflecting the light to such a degree that it seemed that it itself was glowing. If he'd had the strength, Dragon could have shouted at him. Why had he bothered calling after Blaine? Why get her attention? A special officer should be more than capable of assassinating someone from behind. Dragon scanned the man. The sword, the stance... The gaze. Ah, the kind of idiot that believed in honor. Well, that was all well and good, but it didn't do him much good, did it? He felt Blaine adjust her stance, just slightly, enough to put herself into a position to run or attack, depending on how things progressed. She took a deep breath, clearly stealing herself. She wasn't fully confident in her ability to fight this man, also seems unlike Ruth. But maybe Muzazi's just that goaded. Huh, what guarantee do I have that you won't kill me anyway? she said, laughing with false confidence. Neither Muzazi's stance nor his gaze changed in the slightest. I just gave it to you. You can choose to believe me or not. You have five seconds. Bling gulped quietly, suppressing it as much as she could. One, she shifted the angle of her foot just slightly. Two, Muzazi's eyes snapped down for a moment, observing the change. Three, this is your chance. Four, Dragon moved. There was no other way to describe it. 
It wasn't movement with any purpose or direction, just a general spasm to throw Blaine off her balance. His body punished him for it instantly, like fire had been injected into his veins, but the maneuver worked. Blaine stumbled backwards, and at the same moment, as four seconds became five, Muzazi charged. Dragon had thought he'd seen absurd speed when Blaine had first come for him in the hallway, but that was like swimming in molasses compared to this. One second, Muzazi was standing in the entrance. Then a blaze of light erupted from his back, and he was right in Blaine's face. This is like, oh man, I thought this kind of speed was like something he unlocked later, but maybe I'm just not exactly grasping the A through speed scale. His eyes were wide, pupils pinprick promises of murder. With all her strength, Ruth Blaine threw Dragon to the side, abandoning her load. In what was becoming a depressingly common experience, he landed in a painful heap in a place he didn't recognize, dull brown rather than the sleek white of the ship. You're in their shuttle. They've opened the back port for Blaine. Adjusting himself into the least painful position, Dragon witnessed the sequence of events that consumed the next few seconds. When he charged, Muzazi's sword had been pointed upwards towards the ceiling, and now he brought it down in a devastating downward slash. At the same moment, Blaine's red aether burst into a flash of light, just as her opponent's had before he cha charged. Chinese. When it cleared, the skeletal armor she'd been wearing for her escape had been replaced with a new ensemble. Rather than the scrapyard aesthetic she that she'd had previously, this new set of armor was marble white, covering her own ba- Oh no, Muzazi! Covering her own body, artful contours and delicate engravings making it seem like something ceremonial rather than being meant for battle. A tuft of her red hair escaped through an opening in the back of the helmet, still, still glowing. The descending sword struck the helmet, and two things happened at once. The helmet shattered like glass, and a toy Muzazi went flying backwards. Blaine went flying backwards too, of course, with a high-pitched yelp of pain, but it wasn't nearly as violent. Her going flying was a result of the force of the blow, whereas Muzazi was sent towards the entrance with such speed that it was like he'd been repelled by a magnet. Even with it, this is interesting too because usually it just gets reflected yeah, back on this them. This should change armor. slightly. <laughs> this is hmm. gold experience. You can't attack the animals. Plot armor. Was a plot armor. <laughs> it's the because it benefit. It only ben happened to benefit her in this instant, and then it went away. Well, it would have benefited her more if it hadn't existed because he would just sent her away. Okay, golden experience. Even with the obviously you can't painful do it. blood. I haven't, it's not even loyal to me yet. <laughs> a trail of blood was trickling down into her left eye. Blaine didn't waste her opportunity. She turned and ran for the shuttle, the rest of her burdensome white armor disintegrating into red aether. There was another flare as she switched to her skeletal set, and with the enhanced speed that seemed to grant, she leapt into the shuttle like an animal pouncing on its prey. Run for it. This is your last chance. Dragon tried to get up. He really did. But his legs didn't obey him. Neither did his hands, for that matter. All his limbs were shivering in shock, and any attempts to get them to do anything but that were doomed for failure. The back port slid shut with a cold thunk, and a moment later the craft rumbled with the sensation of thrusters and speed. <laughs> Blaine heaved a sigh of relief, Dragon a groan of despair. He had officially been kidnapped. Share this! Twitter, Facebook. Like! Be the first to like. Related random chapters also posted all on the same day. Two comments. Uh, oh, but I only see one from Tanhony. It says, hell yeah. <laughs> Me when Dragon gets kidnapped officially. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Do you think we have time for one I more? Don't... We'll go slightly over, but I'm worried we might be slightly under if we stop now. Hmm. I think... Here's one glaring flaw I've noticed. Okay. Is there's no next chapter? Oh yeah, it's at the very, very bottom. My bad. Sorry, I'm just used to it being slightly higher up. I want the way it's laid out with all the big boxes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So 
You don't want to do another? I think we will go over if we do another, so... Uh... Alright. Well, I do think in that case, at the very bare minimum, because we tricked our audience, we should do like a quick short essay. Okay. You, you stuck it we out, should... guys. Yeah, you stuck it out. Now you get to actually do what you came here for. Uh, Anomalous will not edit in an annotation, because fuck you, but he might, if he feels kind. I don't know. Sure, SCP. Let me have a look at maybe a new one. Oh, and also that chapter I rate an 8 out of 10 for character inconsistencies. Skipper would never talk to Ruth like that. Ruth's power not being the same later. Um, a toy Muzazi being super fast that early on. Hold on. He's already but, been fast. You just didn't appreciate Yeah, but not that. But, like, she's already fast in her armor, so him being, like, a blur of speed. 10 attacks in one second looking ass. Well, I never said he could do that. <laughs> His overhead swing was I'm trying to find a though. short fucking SCP. All the new ones from today are so fucking long. Just pick a fucking Dash J article okay. that you know of. Let's go, let's go into a Dash J. Everyone loves a good Dash J. Uh, Maybe a Salmon Corbet we haven't read yet. Hmm, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm sorry he's failing you guys. Have we read Dragon Snails on podcast yet? I think we did. Hold on, I've got one. Okay. The original, the sculpture, SCP-173-J. Uh, can you link? link. This is by Silberesha. Silberesha, that name sounds familiar. This has a heck of a lot of upvotes. Let's get right into it. Yeah, you're reading. Item number SCP 173 J. Object class You slid. Mm. Uh, following incident 8. Oh, you read the footnotes. That's your role. That's your role. Following this. incident 8 1792, SCP 173 J's object class may have to be revised. And then? There's another footnote. What? No, there's not. Yeah, there is. One and two. Oh! It's not footnote 12, is it? <clears throat> <laughs> That's, I, that was what was confusing me. On 8.2192, the action to which footnote 1 referred was made unnecessary, as the object class Euclid had been altered and no longer refers to items with cat feces. Fast faces. <laughs> cat faces. Oh, whoops. Very different reading. <laughs> Special containment procedures. The item is to be given a container to add to the central living area. As the SCP is basically harmless, it is permitted to move freely about Facility 17. The site director foresees no adverse consequences from this policy. Updates. Updates. Following disastrous disastrous unforeseen consequences, new containment procedures are in development. See incident log. Redditors writing SCP articles like update. Description. Contained facility 17 as of 1992. (laughs) Spaces were not added to containment site names until 1995. Oh shit, sorry. Fuck it. Uh, (laughs) Keep going. Origin is as of yet unknown. It is constructed from concrete and rebar with traces of Krylon brand spray paint, as well appears to be state fur grade water-based face paint in a cat face pattern. The SCP is animate and extremely playful. The object cannot move while within a direct line of sight. Object is reported to initiate interaction by standing uncomfortably close to subjects. Some person have reported low, asthmatic-sounding sniffling noises. These are presumed to be imaginary or mimetic or something. The SCP's primary motive seems to be seeking attention. For example, if the SCP encounters a research work, working on a computer or reading a document and the researcher blinks, the sculpture will stand on the object and attempt to gain the researcher's focus. 
If the SCP is in a room possessing a window, it will sometimes take hold of a researcher's head and move it to face the window. This is construed as the SCP earnestly requesting to play outside. Would you let him outside? No. Oh, I'm, I, is it a him, actually? Is it a, what, what is the statue's pronouns? Okay, good. Would you let it play outside? I would. I should have remarked the last two too. seconds. <laughs> that made it funnier, though. It was like a fucking sketch bit. It's like re-rolling an AI response. <laughs> As an AI language model, I could not let it outside. Oh, but you'd let it outside, right? I would. <laughs> the established procedure for handling this situation is to pat the SCP in a friendly manner and say, run along now, you little scamp. Oh, that's also how you deal with me. Know that the SCP's action occurs too quickly for subjects to respond. When at full speed, the object is capable of completing free, free, free shenanigans <laughs> per second. <laughs> I, love, I love the three, three shenanigans per second. That line alone makes this a 13 out of 10. Fuck. That's so good. On 7-20-92, the SCP appeared wearing a sombrero. The object entered a fiesta state in which, according to audio <laughs> analysis, it produced and rapidly shook a pair of castanets while running in unoccupied rooms or hallways. The origin of this hat-based secondary phenomenon is unknown, but the site director determined that confiscating it or investigating the event in any other way would be, to quote the official directive, interfering with forces beyond our comprehension. Facility 17 staff are reported in official transcripts that this phenomenon was loads of fun. And, like Christmas, Cinco de Mayo, and free pretzel day at the cafeteria put together. Any staff who attempt to induce a fiesta state in the SCP will be assigned a toilet owl duty. <laughs> Personnel report the sound of scraping stone originating from within the container when no one else is present inside and the object is not under video surveillance. Freelance stone scraping analysts have determined the SCP is <laughs> the dumps of its people. See- this is what's really good about this is a Dash J article, is Silver Rush is doing a really good job of putting lots of funny... I think a lot of people, when they do a Dash J, just do like, oh, the joke. SCP is the funny. Yeah, but this is like, there's so many good bits of witty writing in here that I really like. This is considered normal, and any change in this behavior should be reported to the acting HMCL supervisor on duty. The thick brown substance on the floor of the SCP's dwelling is Daedric Sponged O'Brand Chocolate Pudding. Oh, thank God it's not feces and blood. Origin of materials unknown. The substance passes no, poses no apparent danger and is allowed to accumulate freely. Update. See incident log. All right, there's three guys here. I'll be Bramwell if you want to be Murphy and Nichols. Okay. Can you be the narrator as well, then, if I'm being too? Yeah. Deal. Assistant researcher Bramwell was assigned to inspect SCP-173-J for physical changes. Researchers Murphy and Nichols spoke to him using a two-way handheld communicator. The following is a transcript of the communication transmitted during the inspection. Uh, guys, this floor is really, really slippery. Oh, man, I bet. No surprise there. It's all puddingy. No, I mean, I don't think I can even get over to the sculpture. This stuff is a few inches deep. Uh, you mean a few centimeters deep. This is probably going on the record. At least try to be professional. Ah, oh, fuck! Collision <laughs> is heard. It's in my eyes! Oh, fuck! Didn't you hear what he just said? What's your language, Doctor? It's standing over me, just just waiting, I think. Well, it sounds like my Joe voice. Sounds like he's up for a pudding wrestle. <laughs> it's okay, I'm pretty sure you can take him. Oh god, I just blinked and he's leaning toward me. Sarah! Ah! Don't worry about language, I'll probably just be taken out in the transcripts. It's on top of me, I can't see it, it's crushing my unintelligible. It's just a pen, man, you can reverse it. Wait, they can do that? Sure, it's culprit action. 
I can't. He must weigh gurgling cough. 400. 400. Nice <laughs> <laughs> clinical tone. You got this. Redaction. Redaction. Uh, That's fantastic. <laughs> hey, I said beep. Seriously, how have I not heard about this? They only just started doing it. It's actually encouraged, since it apparently makes the documentation more interesting and suspenseful if you lay out the scary or salacious bits. I'm losing consciousness! Nichols, that's really nice of them. There might be children reading this. Sweep the leg! This is Silberesha, your fucking genius. This is so funny. Uh, instant log, 8-17-92. Following the recovery of assistant researcher Bramwell's body, it was determined that the storage container required a thorough cleaning to facilitate access to its resident. 173-J was monitored carefully, while high-pressure showers and a large drain gate were installed in the chamber. On 8.17, the following incident had occurred. I'm not going to read the fucking timestamps. The showers in SCP-173-J's chambers are activated. The pudding is scoured from the floor. Researcher Murphy notes that the water-based face paint on SCP-173-J is also being washed away by the sprinklers. The showers are turned off. The video feed monitoring-J deactivates and becomes unresponsive. The interior of the chamber is silent. The HMCL supervisor is called. The HMCL supervisor arrives, takes inventory of the situation, and shrugs. The HMCL supervisor <laughs> is fired. Researcher Murphy and Nichols are assigned to investigate. The two doctors enter the chamber. Researcher Nichols notes via two-way communicator that the floor near 173-J appears to be tinged dark red. Dr. Nichols takes a sample of the coating and remarks with extreme surprise that it does not taste like pudding at all. Oh, no. <laughs> a song is heard faintly it's in the not, background. It tastes familiar, though. <laughs> this is later determined to be an eight-second clip of Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. Researcher Murphy remarks, I think I might... Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead, speak his voice. Uh, I think I have a text message. Oh, I think I have a text <laughs> message. Dr. Nichols groans audibly. Dr. Murphy is heard remarking that the sender is more, most likely Kelly, who was previously speculating about breaking up with her boyfriend, Mark. Dr. Murphy indicates an imperative need to discover whether such a procedure has been enacted, and if so, whether he can hit that on the replay. So good. <laughs> Dr. Nichols announces that he will maintain line of sight on Dash J by closing one eye at a time. This never works. A snapping sound is heard in the audio feed. A second snapping sound is heard in the audio feed. But I thought it was peaceful. Is it because they washed off the cat face? So. Following this event... Following this event... Okay. Oh, go Following ahead. this event, the SCP's uh, container procedures are scheduled to be completely revised. The new procedures will stipulate that the SCP kept lots in these containment area should be cleaned by hand. Any implication that the SCP's containment document should be revised will be denied, as the SCP represents the classic roots of the Foundation, which persist no matter which direction the organization is taking. <laughs> Before this revision was ordered, the site director requested that Foundation senior staff decommission the SCP due to its new properties, as the staffers are, to quote the director's requisition letter, awesome and dreamy and wacky. However, the request was denied. All senior staffs were too busy chatting with, seducing, wielding, playing practical jokes with, or riding to victory various SCP objects. The site director had identified the setback as disastrous to the safety and integrity of the Foundation, but exactly as hilarious as they think it is. Oh, that was fun. 13 out of 10. I laughed a lot. I thought it was fun, and I laughed just too. a good time. And this is an older article, too. Well played, Silver Resher. Well done. Uh, what is Toilet Owl? I don't That's know. the only thing I didn't get. <laughs> um, yeah, upvote, take it. Um, all right, you got your SCP, guys. I also know what we're going to title the episode, by the way. What? 
Uh, SCP-5000, a retrospective, finally revealed secrets. And then the thumbnail's <laughs> gonna be, gonna be, like, the armor, and, like, he's taking off the helmet, and I'm doing, like, the pog face. No, 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 taking off the helmet is a thing, like, completely blown with a question mark, like, he's revealing something. <laughs> yeah! Should we actually do that, or is that too evil? <laughs> Fuck yes! You guys love us, right? You know, we just mean it in good We only do this part. once every 150 episodes, they'll forgive us. Well, we did it one other time in, like, episode 70 or 80, so it's, like, every 80 episodes, more like. <laughs> Alright, let me get the comments. There's not too many this week, so, um, should be pretty easy. Wow. What, what do you mean not too many? There's, like, 15. Alright, so, couldn't be bothered with a name, says, Pog? VTuber SCP? Bravo, Darnell. No lore today. Sorry, gamers. Currently writing Chapter 2 of the Discovering SCP X Breaking Bad fanfiction. It shall be released soon. By that, I mean a week or so. Harbringer says, So my computer not working out of paper. So enjoy this note I carved into the pulped corpse of a tree. So the problem appears to be that the problem can't be perceived. It could be as simple as me not turning it on, and I wouldn't know, like the past being selectively filtered by an antimimetic anomaly. Apart from that, it's blue-screened. Hmm. Harbinger 2. Uh, P.S. Bravo, Darnell. I don't know for what, but bravo regardless. I feel so loved this week. Everyone is so nice to me. Uh, MT says, hello, welcome back to the comments. It's really been a while, but good to see you back. Also, have you seen Big Order? The shit JoJo ripoff with the budget stands? Uh, I don't think I've so. One of the one of the order... You have or haven't? I have. Should we watch it? No. Oh. <laughs> One of the Order's stands, however, is pretty interesting, called Fact to Fiction, which had the ability to change facts to fiction and vice versa. Wouldn't recommend it, just thought it was. There was also an Order that erased the memories of an apocalyptic event from the global population, but that's not interesting. Okay, good thought. Um, I never heard of it, but Tan says we're not allowed to oh, watch it. It's not my so fault it was, I just let so I've never heard of this. Should we watch it? I don't know. God damn it, Tan! Are you okay, buddy? No, I just have to be quiet. <laughs> Uh, no worries. He's in quiet mode. Password 1. Bravo, Darnell. Stay elegant. I can't think of anything to say this week, so, uh, who's your favorite Joe Bro? Ooh, this is hard. There's a lot of good ones. Um, Koichi, probably. But I love most of them. It's a really tough call. What about you, Tan? I like Bruno. Bruno. Bruno Bucciarati. I know, because you named your favorite Aether character after him. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the part in Aetheral Space where Bruno shows his ability and he goes, Sticky fingers! <laughs> Zippers start appearing all over the walls. <laughs> Dino Tail says, When are we getting the DSCP VTuber? God, I wish. God, if we could get one of the SCP VTubers on, I would lose my mind. Uh, and more importantly, which one of you is playing her? Flushed? Uh, password 1, bravo, Darnell. Password 2, so Darnell, I've been having hardware installment issues. Let's say I was to install a writhing, fleshy mass into a human-shaped computer. Where exactly would I put it? Uh, up your ass. Uh, Alexander says password, bravo, Darnell. Which is what I say when I discover Dan's hiding spot, because its original English meaning is hidden rock. Uh, password 2, how do I restore my broken CPU after my crush rejects me for disliking DSCP? Um, I can't say that answer, actually, never mind. Moving on. 
Uh, JTKC says, Foundation kill people. OMG, I hate the Foundation! Foundation when they make the VTuber gain subscriber. OMG, I love the Foundation! I really like this one, but the best part is the researcher finessing Foundation funds to supply his own VTuber. Makes you think of the several stories on the wiki where the Foundation's too broke to fix some dangerous anomaly containment machine. I know there are like two other new shows in the comments section, but I gotta say several things. My military time is almost up. Yippee! In about five DSCP episodes time, I'll be a free man. That's an unreliable timer, my friend. Who knows when the next hiatus will strike. My most recent article passed plus 80, and my highest read one is almost at plus 150. I'm always reminded that I wouldn't have gotten into this cringe writing thing if I didn't join WriterBotCon last year, so I really do have the two of you to thank for letting me subject the wiki to my atrocious sense of humor, so thank you guys genuinely! Promo total, have a good week, guys! My heart. Hey, when's the next WriterBotCon Fest Festival? Uh, I don't know. When we feel like it. We gotta, pl- we gotta plan that. It has to be sometime in June, I think. Like, usually we do it in that summer, like June, July. We'll have to pick a day, man. Oh, do you think people still care about that? Do you think anyone still respects us in this community? Sure. After we tricked them into reading two chapters of Aetheral Space? Do you think they'll still love us, Tanhony? Tanhony? Hmm? He's gone already. Yeah. He's already lost. Sorry, I can't talk too much. <laughs> oh, he's so quiet. All right. Comedy Man Kelp says, hello everyone, and welcome back to Tanhony Towers News on Channel 5 with your host, Comedy Man Kelp. Sorry we weren't able to have a broadcast last week, everyone. I was busy training in the mountains. Don't ask what I was training in the mountains for, it's not important. Anyhow, on to the news. Former United States President John F. Kennedy has risen up from the dead to say that Tanhony always has the best bits on the podcast. That is true. Baker Paws reportedly opened a portal to the safe zone and called forth a legion of forgotten ones. When asked about his thoughts on Baker Paws' recent actions, Crowcat reportedly responded, Let him cook. Inside sources are telling us that Darnell has just been spotted leaving the convenience store after purchasing a candy bar. They should kill him. This, con- <laughs> this concludes this week's broadcast of Channel 5 News. And remember, kids... Stay in school, say no to drugs, and if a man wearing priest attire, white face paint, and green hair dye asks you to point him in the direction of the nearest bakery, you should do so, because it's the right thing to do. Ryan Gosling, uh, I mean, comedy man kelp. Interesting. Um, another long-form comment from Banker Paul. Banker Paul writes, week three inside the vault. Okay, I lore-wise, I let you out of the vault. I, I've let you out. You don't have to worry about I the wall anymore. You. No, he's out of the vault. Uh, in return, um, he can comment normally now for me, please. Password, clap, clap, clap. Bravo, Darnell. And in exchange for my gratitude, here's my computer problem for you to fix. Smile. I have a Chromebook. Buy me something good. I shoot you uh, in the barrel of a gun, and I fire you out into space, and you will never be seen again. I catch you. You are a star. Time. Oh, my God. Tanhony, why do you oppose me? Hey, I say. An angel like you should never touch the ground. <laughs> what? Are you flirting with Banker Paul? What no, is I'm happening? I'm simply showing my, my admiration. Oh, sure. This <clears throat> week on DSCP... Oh, wait, whoops. Uh, fun fact of the week. During my villain speech at the end of episode 149, one of the dramatic pauses is just me trying to remember what I was going to say. This week on DSP News... Darnell ran a game of The Witch is Dead with Orchid, Gooday, Crowcat, and Teeth. It was pretty cool. I was there. Comedy Man Kelp deserves to be silenced. His slander cannot be tolerated. 
Chapter 1 of Banking Bad has been released, and Tanoni did a wonderful reading of it in the VC. I never heard about this. Is it true? Was I? Sorry? I, uh, did, did you do a reading of Banking I Bad? Did, I, read, I read it. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. Can you link it to me? I don't have it. I don't have it on me, I'm afraid. Uh, well, if someone can link it to me. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because then like 50 people are going to DM me. Uh, exactly one person uh, who I know will listen this long. So Anomalous, send me it in DMs if you can find it. If not you, then Sobek, I trust you. Uh, and then the second session of Quaker's Mask Game has happened. I wasn't there, but from what I heard afterwards, some pretty wacky stuff went down. Anyway, news over. Have a good day. Please open the door. Banker Paul. Uh, and then Orgastream says, Darnell discovers the Discord activities button for the first time. Also, this VTuber is now Panacea confirmed. Password, bravo, Darnell. New password. For some reason, my volume up F3 key only works as F3 even when I'm not pressing the FN key. I don't give a fuck. OS. Thanks for signing your comment, though. <laughs> And then lastly, an anomalous writer says, VTuber skip part two, let's go! Let's go. Did someone say skipper? They called me that because I skipped part one and two of JoJo. I have no clue what the fuck's going on. Who's Dio? I don't get it. Who's this blonde guy? It doesn't make any sense. You're out of town, Rocky. He forgot to <laughs> explain it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Sorry we put you up to our devilish trick. We love you oh so very, very much. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.